In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I think as I get older, and you might say, well, Deborah, you're really not that old, but I notice as I get older that I become more and more, for some bizarre reason, I become more and more sensitive to light, light itself. The length of the day, I definitely noticed when I moved um, to Amherst, Massachusetts, where I lived before coming to Birmingham, I noticed how short the days were in the wintertime, and I lamented the lack of light. I can't tell you how demoralizing it is to have it be dark at 4 p.m. and just wish, wish, wish that, um, that there was light in the morning and there wasn't light as soon as you would want it, there to be light. Um, and I noticed this a few years ago when I traveled to Ireland right on the summer solstice. And Ireland is even further north. And the daylight there in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the summer at the solstice was literally, it was, there was light right up until about 10 p.m. And then again, it got light at 4 a.m. And sometimes it was, I think even it got past 10 p.m. right as it got to the solstice. It was incredible. I, and I just wonder, I lament our loss of sensitivity to the sun. I think of ancient peoples without skyscrapers who could see from one horizon to the other. And, you know, maybe you couldn't see from one horizon to the other in primitive Birmingham before there were streets and cities just because of the hills and the mountains. But some places really were able, you could tell when the light, when the sun rose and when the sun set. And people certainly knew without a wristwatch how to be able to tell time very accurately based on the positioning of the sun. Well, I notice where the sun is, especially these days if I'm driving on one of our avenues and I find I'm heading in the wrong direction at the wrong time and I am suddenly blinded by the sun and I have to slow down and make sure that there's nothing in front of me that I can't see because of this blinding light in my face. Well, the psalm that we read for today, the psalm um, that Psalm 19 talks about the sun itself and it talks about the splendor of the sun. That is one thing I've learned to enjoy. I said as I got older, I'm more sensitive to the light. Well, I've learned to enjoy sunrises as well as sunsets. Maybe it's because I'm actually awake to see them. But I love, it will never get old for me to see how the sky changes. It's different every morning. The sunset and the sunrise is different every morning. And yet one thing is sure and certain, that the sun will rise and the sun will set every day. Until Jesus returns, the sun will rise and the sun will set. And it's this, this exactly, this, the regularity of the sun and the radiance and the beauty of the sun are what the psalmist uses to describe the glory of the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. One day tells its tale to another and one night imparts knowledge to another. One version, translation that I read of that said, day to day and night to night. You get that sense of that regularity, that certainty of the sun that will rise the next day. And how, as we go on, um, it's talking about the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens themselves. All of the sky bears witness to the glory of the Lord. And that glory 
um, we see both in the regularity, again, it talks about it again, about the sun rising like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man, or some versions say a hero, running his race, running his course. The sun is like a champion, a hero, going from one side of the sky to the next. And the beauty of the sun, the radiance of the sun, the very light itself, bears witness not just to its own inherent beauty, but to the beauty and the regularity, the certainty of the creator of the heavens and the creator of that sun. So these first few verses in the psalm show us that God himself is like his creation. He has made his creation the way it is, and it reflects his glory. God himself is certain and sure, dependable, regular. There's order to the universe because God himself has order even within his own being. And then the radiance of the heavens shows that God himself has this radiance and this glory within his very own self. Creation is just like a mirror of his radiance. It's just one little drop in the bucket compared to the very light and beauty that God himself has. So we see this image in the psalm. The psalms, by the way, just a little side note, the psalms are hymns that were used in the worship of the, at the temple, at the Jewish temple. Psalms are really songs. They're hymns, and they're meant to draw our hearts to worship God. So we see that worship comes from looking at creation and saying, wow, we worship a God who made all of this, and all of this bears witness to who he is. And then the second thing about the psalm is it starts to talk about the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The law is like that sun, our sun, that goes from one side of the heaven to the other. It is regular. It's dependable. It reflects God's glory. It reflects God's glory in that it reflects God's own perfection. God is perfect, and he is holy, and he is righteous, and he is just. And his justice and his righteousness, his holiness, is so bright and so perfect that sinful human beings are in danger when we come into contact with it. There's this fear of the Lord that comes into our hearts when we think about the beauty and the holiness of God. And the law does this. The law puts this fear into our hearts. It's a holy fear, a good fear. Because it's a fear of God in his righteousness. We see that um, in Exodus 33, do you remember? You don't know what Exodus, you probably don't know off the top of your head. Big prize to you if you do, although some might. But in Exodus 33, we see Moses there on Mount Sinai meeting with God. And God says that he cannot show Moses his face. Because if he shows Moses his face, if Moses sees God... In all of his glory, he will die because no sinful and fallen human being can see God's face and live. He's so holy, and we are unholy. It's dangerous for us. It wasn't always. Remember back in the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God? 
They were right there, close to God, in God's presence. And I imagine that their faces, too, radiated that glory of God, just like Moses' face radiated God's glory when he came down from the, from the mountain. It was so ra- his face was so radiant, radiant that the people of Israel shielded themselves from it. They said, no, we can't look at your face. It's too much. You have to put a veil over your face. And that was just a mere hint, a, a dim reflection of the glory that God himself possesses. And so for us, as we come into contact with God, especially both through creation, but especially through the knowledge of his law, we think of the law of the Ten Commandments, those Ten Commandments given to Moses on that Mount Sinai. But we think also of the internalization of the law that Jesus Christ himself brought. Remember, in Jesus, we have the law in all its perfection. There he is, fully man, fully God. And he, he, is, he alone is able to obey the law perfectly. I don't know if you ever have this feeling when you see someone that you admire. When you see someone that you think, wow, look at them. They have it all together. They're so put together. She's so beautiful. That's what women say about other women. She's so well put together. Or men might say, wow, he's really got a great job. Or uh, he's real. I don't know. What, do, what else do men say? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a man. But they know. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> because I had this acting teacher that described it, and I've used this before, so forgive me if you've heard it, as being lesser than or greater than. You know in that mathematical equation when you can say, that person is so much better than me. I'm so lesser than them. Well, two things about that. That response, wow, look at them. They're all put together. First of all, they're not because they're human, right? (laughs) And you don't know what goes on inside their house or even worse, inside their head. Um, God alone knows that, thank goodness. But so first of all, they're not perfect. And second of all, that is the natural human reaction when we come in contact with the perfection of God and especially the perfection of God made manifest in Jesus Christ. When we see his righteousness, um, when we see him bringing the law even further, taking it not just to be about our external actions, but as this psalm begins to suggest, Jesus takes it deeper and makes it about the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and minds. So we might say, well, like that lawyer, I've kept the law my entire life. That rich young, oh no, it wasn't a lawyer, it was a rich young man. Heaven forgive me. See, I'm not perfect. Um, the rich young ruler who, sa- who said, I've kept the law my entire life. He meant the outward law. He meant that his actions were good outside. But Jesus takes it further. Jesus knows the internal workings of our minds and our hearts and so as we look at the laws we look at not just the external but also at the internal as we look as the psalmist says at the hidden faults those things that are inside that only god knows we can feel as though the brightness of the all the sun were shining right into our very being it can be scary And yet we worship a God who is not just the lawgiver, 
and the judge of our hearts, but who is also the one who has sent Jesus Christ for us to obey the law, to be the perfection of the law, and yet also to be a perfect and spotless lamb who is an offering for us and for our sins. And so thanks be to God that he has sent Jesus Christ, his own son, to be born as a little baby, to live and then to die willingly upon a cross so that we might enter into relationship with God, so that we might know that those secret and hidden faults are forgiven by his mercy and his grace. And so it is that we can say the words of this psalmist at the very end of this psalm. How many times have you heard this verse when someone gets up to preach or teach? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The psalmist has just acknowledged that he's in danger of presumptuous sins, that he has hidden faults, and yet he petitions God, he asks God um, to make him acceptable. He asks God his rock and his redeemer, his strength and his redeemer. And so we too, every time that we come to church and we confess our sins, before communion, we are saying, O Lord, I look to you, my rock, my strength, and my redeemer, and I ask that you would make me acceptable in your sight through your Son, Jesus Christ. That is, that is how we can see that glory and splendor of God. That is how we can see the Son in all its glory and beauty and, um, and not fear. Fear and yet turn to God and then move on in strength and confidence, trusting that as we continue to confess, as we continue to turn to God and trust in Jesus Christ, um, he will transform us into his very likeness. So let us pray. Father, your holiness, your beauty is more than we can bear. And we say with the words of this psalmist, let us be acceptable in your sight. We know that we are not. The brightness of your countenance reveals those things inside us that we wish we didn't think or feel. And yet we turn to you in faith, knowing that you alone will forgive us and that you alone can make us righteous through your Son. And it's in his name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask this. Amen.